This is Shudders Inc. with Bruce Williams and Joe Edelman. Hi and welcome to episode 506 of Shudders Inc. This is Bruce Williams from ShuddersIncPodcast.com. And joining us once again from Allentown in Pennsylvania, it is Mr. Joe Edelman. How are you? I don't know if I want to talk because we haven't negotiated terms now that I have an intro, Bruce. Come on. I, I you know, I think I need to hold out for something here. <laughs> Mate, you're part of the family now. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I try to get out and they pull me back in. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Hey, I think it's going to be a while since I make until I make it to Australia. So I figure I'm safe for now. Yeah. They can't get me here. Uh, there you go. How have you been? I've been good, man. I've been good. I got banned from Facebook and I'm back. So I not know, much going on. I know. You know? We've got to we've got to talk about that for sure. Yeah, well, um, it was an adventure. Let me tell you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, you know. Th- what, two months ago now, maybe? Um, well, yeah, it actually started back in March, but we're, yeah, we're right. actually just about a month ago that the whole ban happened. Right. So it, so, it, it so, was two things that kind of overlapped each other. In March, I got hacked. And it was pretty crazy. I like woke up one morning, I was eating breakfast, and suddenly I got like 50 emails from Facebook, and they were those, you know, password reset emails, you know, if you right. didn't request this. So I'm figuring, well, it's coming to my email, so they can't reset my password. And then all of a sudden, I get one that says, your password's been reset, and I panicked. So first thing I did at that point was, you know, changed my Gmail login, but then I'm like, how do I get my Facebook account back? So really quick, I did the retrieve your account with a phone number thing, and I got it back, and I set a new password, so I was kind of like, ha got you guys, you know, and I had my account back. And that's as much as I thought of it. I changed my Facebook password and life goes on, right? So two weeks after that, I get a notice one morning, you have been removed as the admin of your business page. <sighs> oh my God. And at that point, the light bulb went on. When they hacked me, they immediately went to my business page and, you know, I was afraid maybe they went to my Facebook group. So, and they added themselves, and uh. here they had taken my business page and removed me, so I, I had no access to the business page. Ooh. So fortunately, they didn't add themselves to the group. They just got onto the business page. So I filed a report with Facebook. And, you know, Facebook's a big company. I get it. They can't talk to everybody, but they kind of make it an art form of <laughs> not being able to communicate with yes. them. So a week after that happens, I get up one morning and, and literally all three of these happen at like 8 a.m. in the morning when, you know, I'm not entirely awake yet at that point. <laughs> I, I get an email from Facebook that says your account has been temporarily disabled. Follow this link to get your account back. And, and these are all legit links. They go to Facebook.com. And so you get to this link and they tell you that the account was disabled for violating community standards. Whoa. Which is a big thing for Facebook lately. That's actually the uh, community standards are what this, uh, it's been in the news this week, the, their board that evaluated the Donald Trump situation. You know, they, they have to basically manage these community standards. So um, you have to provide proof of who you are and a cop literally has to take a picture of your driver's license and then a picture of you holding the driver's license and you wow. send them all this stuff. So I, I filled out all the stuff on the form. And they don't tell you why. It just says, you know, violating community standards. 20 minutes later, I get an email goes, comes back that says, you have been permanently 
banned from Facebook. Well, you're, excuse me, exact verbiage. Your account has been permanently disabled. This cannot be reviewed. Wow. And it just tells you it's because you violated community standards, but not a specific reason. And there's a, a link, a button that you can press to download all of your information from Facebook. And literally, you know, I joined Facebook in 2009. So oy, oy, oy. it allows you to download everything you have ever done on Facebook. Wow. It took about three and a half hours to compile two zip files for me to download it. So I did all that. And, and of course, in the meantime, I'm literally going out of my mind because I've got a Facebook group with over 10,000 members. I've got like 52,000 followers on my business page. And this is how I communicate with people. Yeah. So I go scouring through all this information that I downloaded because there's an activity log and everything. I'm thinking like I've got to find out who and what they did. So I was actually able to find the hack. It came out of Vietnam uh, on the date that I knew I got hacked. Because, and I knew that because I had changed my password that day. So I yep. had that, you know, logged. But I couldn't find any posts that I didn't make. So I was like, I don't get it, right? So at this point, I'm like the only form I could find to fill out for Facebook was a, a copyright infringement form. So I was like, well, my, you know, when my account got disabled, permanently disabled it basically wipes you from facebook you yeah. know my, my wife has a facebook account so i went in through her account my profile's gone pictures even like uh if you if you would have gone into my facebook group at the time my name wasn't there any picture that i ever posted any posts that i ever made any comment that i ever made any like that i ever did wow. gone it like wipes you from facebook right wow. but my business page was still there because <laughs> I didn't own it, so it didn't it didn't get wiped wow. when you know, they did it, and of course I had no access to it. So I filed a copyright infringement, but provided all the information. So hang on, just a question. Sure enough, yeah, isn't the business page a part of your personal Facebook profile? It no, so it doesn't have to be. Ah. I have one of the early business pages, which is kind of grandfathered. Now you can go as a business and just sign up and have just a business page. Right. Um, so what they did along the way is they separated the two. Uh huh. And what that meant for me is, you know, on the business page, I was essentially still listed as an admin, but you can have multiple admins. Um, but it's still, it would have remained tied if I was still an admin and what would have happened is the page would have sat there, it would have removed me, but it wouldn't have necessarily deleted it. So my page was still there. I fill out the copyright infringement and I get a message back like two days later. Well, it sounds like this is a hacking situation. Follow this link. And cause I gave them all the details. And of course the problem with the link that they gave me is you have to be able to log into Facebook to use it. <laughs> and I can't log in. So at this point, I, I'm like going out of my mind. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, this is going to be a big hit to my business and everything. So I happen to have a LinkedIn premium account, which allows you to access anybody with a LinkedIn profile. Right. So I started doing some research for like Facebook employees. and uh, started with like security. And yeah. I realized that's not what I needed to do because... Turns out Facebook's got lots of different kinds of security. Like they even have like a security team where every one of the people on that team have like 
resumes that means they could have been part of the Secret Service or like Navy SEALs, okay? (laughs) So so I was like, yeah, they're not going to be able to help me. But I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's like, you know, the tech security. So finally, I realized it's this department called Community Services. And I sent out 64 messages (laughs) to Facebook employees (laughs) that are in this department all around the world, like Austin, Texas, Dublin, Ireland, San Francisco, New York, you name it, like wherever I could find these people. And didn't get a single response. And I included like, you know, every little detail, everything. So another week and a half, two weeks go by. And at this point, you know, I've been trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to run my business? How am I going to communicate with people? All the while dealing with the irony that it was really nice not to have to check Facebook two or three times. (laughs) You know, which is, you know, it's kind of the double-edged sword there. Um, (laughs) Exactly. And um, finally decided, all right, I'm going to do a big video. You know, I got banned from Facebook and and just kind of make a splash and hope that the photo blogs will pick it up and then even, you know, come and talk to you and Glenn and basically anybody they'll listen. Yeah. Try and get attention. And at that point, gentleman that I know from Tel Aviv, Israel, who is um, the owner of the company Spiffy Gear. They make the specular lights and the little Q6 lights. Oh, okay. Um, I happened to reach out to him for something and we were just having a conversation. I told him about this. He's like, send me all the information. I'm like, what? What are you going to do? And he's like, turns out, <laughs> guy that does his package design works is in a the graphic Mossad. artist for, well, well he, right, he, he's a graphic designer right. for Facebook and he freelances. Right. So, um, and he told me that, I guess, two weeks prior, which was about the same time my situation occurred, right. that portrait photographer, Canadian portrait photographer, who's really well known, Renee Robin, mm-hmm. she was banned from Facebook. Oh, wow. And she managed to get her account back by reaching out through Twitter and turns out a friend of hers knew a Facebook employee. Right. So um, I, at that point, took a slightly different direction and sent the information, sent the information off to the gentleman in Israel who works for Facebook and through a couple other channels managed to get a hold of another Facebook employee. And indeed, Facebook employees, they can advocate for people in those situations. And there's a, a reporting system that they go through. So they right. provided all the information. About four days went by. And sure enough, I got an email from Facebook concierge support, at which point I was feeling kind of special because like, I have my own <laughs> concierge at Facebook, right? And um, had to give them all kind of information again, all kind of details, but uh, they were great. They emailed me like twice a day for three days, uh, just giving me updates because it had to go through several, several layers of review and everything else. And right out of the box, almost immediately, they got back and said, we've confirmed indeed you were hacked and we see that you were removed from your page. So interestingly enough, they gave me back ownership of the page before I, still before I could access Facebook. But it was like, okay, it's moving in the right direction. Like piece by piece, I'm getting it back, you know? Yeah. And then it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. I got a message and they said, your access has been restored. We would encourage you to go ahead and change your passwords again and use two-factor authorization, but you should be able to get in. And then 10 minutes after that, I got a message on LinkedIn. And it turns out that one of the people that I had messaged yeah. 
is actually the director of that department. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she didn't respond to me because she, you know, it turns out they get lots of messages like that. And she wanted to do a little bit of research on her own, but she was willing to look into it. So she went into work the next day and handed off my information. And when she handed it off, they're like, oh, he's already in the system. We've got his information. Yeah. And they had gotten it from, you know. So she basically told them, all right, well, as soon as you figure out what's going on, make sure you report back to me. And as soon as she found out, she sent me a message. Oh, so, that's great. So, yeah, and it's kind of one of those things. On one hand, you know, you want to hate Facebook because they're easy to hate. And <laughs> yeah. let's face it, they got a lot of things they got to work on. But on the other hand, for me, it was just a big wake-up call and a realization that, you know, as, as much, and I love social media. I, I'm not one of those people that's going to trash social media. The problem is with the people that use it, not with <laughs> the platforms. But it's a great reminder that, you know, there are a lot of us in today's world that are building businesses and um, relying on our income on platforms yep. that we don't own. Oh, yeah. And and so we are indeed at the mercy of, you know, these companies and this technology. And that doesn't make these companies bad. That just means, hey, like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, yeah. you know, certainly having multiple income streams and you know, kind of really having some plan B's in place is actually really important. So that was, that's the moral I chose to take away from it. But yeah, yeah. it was, uh, it was a stressful two and a half weeks. I'm not going to lie. Well, you talked to me in the middle of it. You knew I was quite out of sorts. Yeah. Like, yeah I didn't know totally. what I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we were due to record an episode just after this had happened. And, and Joe said to me that he didn't want to discuss it publicly at that point. So we, uh, we ended yeah. up giving it a miss, but, um, yeah, I can imagine it would have been pretty scary. You know, the idea that you've spent, you know, as you say, over a decade building yeah. up that profile and, you know, yep. building up the following and the, you know, all of the interactions that have gone on in that time, you know, to, to feel like that could just be pulled out from under your feet with no notice. And yeah, yep. that would be. Well, and of course there was no way to even tell those people like, Hey, I'm okay, but I'm banned, you know, nothing. There was yeah. just no way to communicate. So yeah. it was, uh, it was quite a wake up call. Yeah. But fortunately got it all worked out. So that also is a good message about, you know, perseverance. So, um, I think, you know, it's awful that that happened, but I think the thing that is worth reiterating to, to everybody is if you do ever suspect that something like that has happened and you do have multiple pages on Facebook, like I have three mm -hmm. or four different pages and or groups that I manage on Facebook. You know, yep. I've got the Shutters Inc. page, I've got my Bruce Williams photography page, I've got you know, a couple yep. of other different pages. It Check it, them all. Yeah, it really does, you know, bear reminding that, you know, if you think there's been any untoward activity on your own personal account if you do manage other pages and groups then certainly go and check those and just see who's set up sure. as an admin on those pages and groups because you know yep wow. and it's definitely worth it's definitely worth activating and i'll admit i i dragged my feet on this technology because it's annoying two-factor authentication but it works the, right the yep. two-factor authentication you kind of yep any any website that you use that ha is valuable to you yes. in any way, if they offer that, you know, as an option, you should unfortunately, do it. you need to use it. And then the only other thing I would say about that, what I've learned in the process, there's several apps that you can use on your phone. And for those of folks that don't know what that is, 
basically it's an added layer of security. So when you go to log in, you're going to give your email address, you're going to give your password, but then another box pops up and it's like enter your you know, your code. Yeah. And then what you do is you go to your phone, Android or iOS, doesn't matter. You open up the app that you use and there'll be a six-digit code and a timer. So you've got until that timer runs out to enter that code to get access. Um, there are a couple different apps. Google has one, which is the one that I highly recommend. They call it Google Authenticator. Authenticator. Yep. And, and the reason why I recommend it is twofold. Number one is Google. The way I look at Google, if Google goes away, the whole internet goes away, so I'm safe with Google, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. if Google goes down, the whole internet goes down, so that's I'm safe it. with Google. But uh, there's another one called Authy, which works great, but I will tell you out of the two, the Google interface is just so much easier easier. Yeah. It's it's just like a simple list type thing so you can scroll through it with Authy, you you access your different websites like via icons and so there's more clicking and punching around and uh, the Google one is just it's a ton easier. Yeah. Security experts generally refer to two-factor authentication as something you know and something you have. So right. something you know is the password that you generally use to get into your site, and the something you have is a physical device like your phone, yep. uh, or in some cases, things like a YubiKey, uh, which is another mm-hmm. hardware device that is designed purely yep. for two-factor authentication. But yeah, um, it's, it's sad that we live in a world where this has become the necessity, but it is what sure. it is. But, um, yep, indeed. Mate, I'm glad you've got your account restored and you're, you're back online and doing your thing. Yeah, thank that's, you. Uh, thank you. It was, a, it was an adventure. It's one yeah. for the book. <laughs> one way yep. of looking at it. <laughs> yep. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Since 2005, Shutters Inc. has been a labor of love. But beyond the time required to produce it, there is also a financial commitment. If you find value in the podcast and would like to help keep the servers running, hit up the Patreon link, which is in the show notes. Even a couple of dollars a month will help. Much appreciated. Now, back to the podcast. So we've got a couple of stories uh, that I thought we could talk about, and then I've got uh, questions without notice, which I'll throw to you. Um, So the first one was uh, rather distasteful on the part of Netflix, who uh, have basically put out a request looking for a photographer to be involved with a show that they are producing called Love is Blind. And it's basically one of these, you know, married at first sight type couples get matched together and married and, you know, they've made a reality TV show out of it. But Mm -hmm. it seems like... Netflix is just a little bit skint at the moment and can't afford to pay the photographer. And they only want you to cover five weddings. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So they want a photographer to work for free to photograph Mm -hmm. five weddings over five consecutive days. And, yeah, but it's great exposure for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you're you're gonna get me in a lot of trouble here. You re- you really are. You're so, gonna get banned uh, again. Yeah, I, I know. By by your audience. Here we go. So, I, I mean, you know, I I have friends that both own and work at the photo news blogs. Oh, okay. So, but that being said, 
yeah, it's a bad look for Netflix. But there's a couple things that we need to be realistic about. Number okay. one, the only people that give a damn uh, photographers. are people. <laughs> well, yeah, but no, actually, I'm, I'm going to narrow that down even further. They are photographers who want to be making money, but they're not making money. Because the thing of it is, is photographers that are out there running successful businesses, they've been approached for this kind of stuff before. Right. And they just chuckle and it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But why does that happen? That happens because it's never going to go away. I would argue, and I mean this sincerely, which this is the part that's not going to be popular. I would argue that Netflix is actually being very smart by doing what they're doing for several reasons. Okay. Reason number one, I happen to know that a lot of these reality type shows are launched on extremely small budgets. Oh, okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for any sympathy for Netflix, right? <laughs> but, 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 but understand, number one, that first of all, Netflix isn't making this show. Netflix is showing this show. That you, I guarantee you when the show hits the air, if you watch the credits, you'll see six different you know, uh, production companies. And, and one of them is kind of the actual owner-creator of the show. Right. They've sold it to Netflix, et cetera, which means Netflix is bankrolling a lot of it. But they don't give them massive budgets for something like this. Right. So they've got to they've pick and choose. You know, where, where are we going to put our money? Where, where are we going to in, invest, you know, our money? Certainly if the show hits and it takes off, yeah, they're all going to be making big bank and those five photographers there, you know, they're not going to come back to them and say, hey, since we made this much, you know, we'll give you more. But, you know, they got, they got to worry about their numbers. That's number one. Number two, you know, the, the challenge that you have when you do this kind of stuff is, they want the wedding shot, but, and I've never seen the show, let me be clear, but I'm willing to bet you that when it's all said and done with, they're going to shoot these weddings and we're going to see a few images. Yeah. Now, indeed, some of the images will probably wind up being used in actual marketing and advertising, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, there's value. But, you know, one of the challenges that we have as an industry is we need to realize that right now, today in this evolution of photography and the photography industry, it's, it's a buyer's market gang. Yeah. And why is it a buyer's market? It's a buyer's market because everybody's a freaking photographer yeah. and that's not bad. That's just new. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, back in the day when I learned, you know, back in the dark ages, <laughs> you know, it, 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 photography was not only expensive, but it wasn't that accessible. You know, that was back in those years where you took pictures, you waited seven days to find out just how much you sucked. It was way back then, right? Yeah. So the people that didn't suck, there there was value to them because there weren't that many of them. And not that many people had good cameras in the first place. Yeah. So photographers were able to demand and get a, a lot more for their services. Now, you know, heck, we could take a smartphone in and, you know, yeah. do some pretty decent pictures, right? Yeah. So. So the perceived value is down. Everybody wants to be that photographer. And look, you know as well as I do, there are a lot of people that have maybe only done a few weddings that are maybe just starting a wedding business that are going to look at this idea of, oh my God, I would probably show up on camera at least a couple times. I'm going to be able to put up my website that says I shot weddings for Netflix, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. They're going to run to do that. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Is it fair that Netflix is doing it? I hate to say, gang, yeah, it's totally fair. 
And we all need to just stop. It's just people, you know, again, and I, I'm glad the blogs exist, but all they're doing with an article like this is just stirring crap up. And they're not, <laughs> I mean, really, when you look at these articles, every one of the blogs reported on it, I, yeah. I mean, they just did. But but what what value is that bringing to the industry? Because honestly, all it did I mean, come on, be fair, think about it. Hmm. All those articles did is create a lot of anxiety because this one photographer got the email and, and you know, kicked up the big fuss and got the blogs involved. But I guarantee you for every photographer that got an email from them, now that this article is out there, there's probably about 2,000 photographers that are like, God oh, damn it, if only I would have got that email, I would have done that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, so, you know, and, and again, it's a business choice. And we all know that people that choose to work for free are not going to make a lot of money, but that's their choice. Yeah. I I just, I don't know, for me, it'd be so nice if we worry more about taking pictures. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so now, I, now I, that I, I will absolutely officially agree. be banned from Australia. I, I, I agree with, <laughs> sorry, I missed that. I said, now that I'll officially be banned from Australia and all <laughs> photography there. Uh, so. Look, I I agree with everything you've said. I just feel like it wouldn't be a massive stretch of their budget to to throw a few bucks towards whichever photographer gets the oh, gig like morally i am with you a million percent morally absolutely yeah. uh, you know even even to go to a photographer and say hey listen um you know we know the average going rate for you know a wedding at this point is this yeah we're gonna need you for five of them and we can only afford to pay you like even if it's a tenth of what they normally would get yeah yes there there's the you know, there's that kind of that moral feeling of at least give something. Yes, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. Yep. I just don't. I don't see the value of everybody getting so upset and taking up all this space for <laughs> news. Because the Fair way enough. I look at it, you know, every all, all the the people going on about it and reading about it and writing about it, it's like, how are we helping the photography community with all this stuff? Fair enough. It's not like it's not like it's a scam that's preying on your inbox. I don't think Netflix is actually like going to do harm to anybody. Mm. You know, and and the worst part of it is is these particular photographers that do it for free cuz the worst part of it now is the community is going to make these five photographer this whoever it's one photographer to do five oh, okay. weddings, the, so yeah. the, the community is going to make this one photographer a pariah which is unfortunate it yeah. really is it's not it's not fair to the community and but the best part of it is, is here's my hope here's my sincere hope i hope that whatever photographer they get to do it is damn good yes and yes. i hope that they not only do it and let the crap fly that's going to come from the photography community. But I yep. hope then that they take that Netflix logo yep. and plaster it on their website and say, I shot pictures for this yep. and get their marketing game on yeah. and find themselves doing whatever they want to do in, in the wedding industry. Yep. So, yeah, so I, I would argue, unfortunately, that this photographer, you know, missed out on an opportunity. But, but at the same time, it's almost unfair of me to say that because... That's basically like me saying, well, this is what her business should be. I mean, if you look at her website, she does really good work. I have a feeling she is a very busy photographer and is not really hurting for business. So certainly she's right by saying, hey, this is a bunch of BS Netflix. Yeah. 
But, but you're, from an you're, industry you're certainly right about a yeah. buyer's market, as you say. You know, pretty much Absolutely. everyone's got a camera and thinks of themselves yep. as a photographer. So, yeah, I guess uh, it's supply and demand like everything else. Sure. I agree. All righty. Uh, the other story that I wanted to cover briefly, uh, simply because I have a dog in this hunt, Sony has now officially removed all of the A-mount cameras from their websites worldwide, which means that whilst there has been no official announcement from Sony as such, it basically means A-mount is now dead in the water, which is kind of sad, but it was inevitable. I mean, we all knew it was coming. (sighs) I'm sorry, are we talking about Sony again? What? (laughs) <laughs> so I'm not going to lie to you, Bruce. When I saw that article this week, I was like, Sony makes DSLRs? Really? <laughs> I had no idea they still made DSLRs. Oh, yeah. That's how much I care. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. There'll be, there'll be uh, some people I, for whom it's sad news. Yeah. And I will give you, you know, I, I completely agree. I mean, the logic is, okay, DSLRs are done with Sony, but... You know, I'll also say I'll give it one month tops before, and they probably already exist. This shows you how much I know, but but I'll give it a month tops. If they don't exist, you're going to see Chinese companies coming out with adapters to put the mirrorless lenses on on those DSLRs. Oh, the, yes, they uh, and they probably exist already. I, I that's a good question. I've never even thought of whether anyone would actually want to go that route. There are adapters that go the other way where you can right. take an A mount lens and slap it onto a mirrorless body which uses an E mount uh attachment. Uh right. I've I've never actually considered whether anyone would try to put an E-mount lens onto an A-mount body. I suspect that the electronics in the E-mount lenses would far surpass the capacity of the the A-mount body simply because of the fact that it's newer technology. But I guess, as you say, if, if, a, if an adapter was made, that adapter would then go, okay, this information coming from the lens the camera doesn't understand, so I won't pass that information along. Right. And make, I guess it, it, it would do right. the job of, you know, scaling back the amount of information being passed from the lens to the camera, I guess. Right. And didn't I read in one of the articles that um, Sony had previously released an adapter to... Um, I think that's to that, go the other way. Yeah, in yeah, other words, that, to try and encourage so, people that had the DSLRs to switch to mirrorless, but use still use their lenses. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the right. LAEA okay. series of of adapters, and there's five of them. And oh, only which, five. It's just like Sony cameras. You can't do it with one. You, so. it, it, no, no. The, the reason there are five, in their defense, <laughs> it, it all comes down to uh, the autofocus mechanism of the the lens so there were some lenses that used like a um like a rotating thread that drove the focusing element and so two of those adapters use that particular type of autofocus adjustment and then there are two that use a a different methodology for the autofocus mechanism in the lens and i can't remember what that mechanism is 
And then there's the the EA5, which is the most recent version of the adapter. Uh, and basically, all of these adapters are designed to allow you to take A-mount glass and attach it to an E-mount body. And the one downside of these adapters, or, and although I, I guess it's a pretty small market, is that if you have the vertical grip to go with your E-mount mirrorless body, Oh, you can't use the adapter because the the bulbous part of the vertical grip right. interferes with the ability to thread the uh, adapter onto the camera body into the e-mount oh. uh, flanges. <laughs> Five adapters, no grip. You have just highlighted why I would argue mm-hmm. that the Sony marketing department, mm-hmm. they're gods. They should be paid... <laughs> So much money? <laughs> so much money. They probably are. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I have the vertical grip for my A7 III, but okay. the... And and this will, you know, further strengthen your belief that the marketing department <laughs> deserves more money. Uh, one of the reasons why I never bought one of these uh, LAEA adapters... Mm-hmm. is because the A7 III, which is the only you know mirrorless body I've had experience with, because that's the one I own, right. it has 493 autofocus points, and they are scattered right across the entirety of the sensor. The moment you put any one of these LAEA adapters onto your E-mount body and then slap an A-mount lens on it, you are now down to 15 autofocus points and they are Ooh. clustered in the uh, sort of 10% of the sensor right in the middle of the frame. Right. And so, you know, when I was originally looking at moving away, because I prior to the A7 III, I shot with the A850, which was, you know, second from the top of the line when it was released back in 08. Uh, And I shot with that for 10 years. And so I have a a really nice collection of A-mount glass. And when I was looking to upgrade my body, the guy at the camera store said to me, oh, you know, you don't need to update all your glass. You could put an adapter on, you know, the A7 III and you could keep shooting with your A-mount glass. And so I went, Oh, okay. Because at that point I wasn't aware of that, and so I went and did some, you know, went home, jumped on YouTube, and started watching a bunch of things, and found out all this mm-hmm. information about just how much it was going to hobble the performance of the body. Right. And just thought, well, what's the point, you know? Uh, and so I took yeah. the plunge and just bought a whole new system with you know body and lenses. So, yeah. Did but you anyway. see the story this week that they're? They're coming out with a whole new mirrorless system with different sensors and mounts, like, next next month? No. Who? Sony? Oh, of course. Well, they're bound to have I mean, come on. It's do their due for a change, man. Why not? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, right. I can't. So, so. It's, You're it's horrible, been, horrible, what, man. how many years with this mount? It's time, you know? Like, A-mount or E-mount? Well, I don't know. Whatever the newest one is. Oh, the newest is yeah. e- E-mount. <laughs> E-mount. Okay, well, so then, hey... It's time to go to the F mount. Here it comes. <laughs> you know, so we've had. They're going to name since... this new one the F U mount. Okay, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to anyway. be in so much trouble. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, you know, this this kind of this kind of stuff does happen. You know, I mean, didn't yeah. didn't Canon just change their mount after? A well, they all years? do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Canon like and Nikon, of course, when they went mirrorless, they had to change the mount. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I was one of those people for years because I didn't. I didn't know I was uninformed, but I, you know, I argued for years that the key for these companies, you know, was to come up with a, a body that would work with, you know, the other lenses with, without an adapter. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of really, really great reasons why that doesn't work. Uh, so they've, they've all had to come out with, you know, new lens systems. And, but they all have sense. a vested interest not to do that. Well, that's true too. I I don't disagree with that. I mean, you know, one of the things as consumers that is a reality that we we all have to at least acknowledge. It sucks, but it's a fact. Uh, I talk a lot about this concept with um, companies that make light modifiers. You know, soft boxes, umbrellas, parabolic dishes, rice bowls, this beauty <laughs> dish, that collapsible, <laughs> this. It's like. You know, you get to a point where it's like, how many modifiers do you need? Yeah. And how many modifiers are you dumb enough to buy just because they look freaking cool? <laughs> okay. And and in defense of these manufacturers, if you treat your modifiers well, they're going to last you 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Well, they can't survive that way. Yeah. So they've got to keep coming up with new stuff that's got cool racing stripes on it and that kind of stuff. So you're going to be like, oh, my God. So, I mean, there there are. There are many, many cases they are targeting your gas, gear acquisition syndrome, right? Like, they got to come up with something cool that you're going to want. And it's just a fact of life. And we kind of need them to do that because... We do still want those companies to be here. We do want them to still be trying to innovate and and trying to come up with that modifier that is going to change the way we do things, that is going to make a big difference. But at the end of the day, you know, they're modifying light. Light operates by the inverse square law. None of that's changed in like the last, you know, how many hundred <laughs> years. So, so, since, so that's kind of the, the challenge bang. they have. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the challenge they have is, you know, they can make the stuff look more modern. They can maybe make it lighter, maybe make it more durable. So there's all kinds of things that they can try to do. But at the end of the day, it's actually not changing what it really does. Right. And so it, that is kind of the, the challenge that all uh, the camera manufacturers all of them. It's like, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, I wish they'd build a damn camera that's going to get me through the next 10 years, both durability-wise, quality-wise, and everything else. And the fact is, on one hand, they probably could. On the other hand, they can't afford to do that, because if they do that, they're not going to be here in 10 years to make the next one. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess I guess I'm the outlier there in that I'm, I will happily shoot with a camera for 10 years. Yeah, that's 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 not normal, Bruce. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I've said to Glenn, and I've said it on this podcast, you know, numerous times, I saw other great cameras come and go during that ten years that I was shooting with my A eight fifty. And as much as yeah, those was Sony, new cameras, that was like thirty of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and as and as great as those cameras looked, I always was of the opinion I can't justify that right. expenditure you know i haven't pushed up against the limits of what this camera can do and i i felt like i owed it to myself and my wallet to to keep pushing mm -hmm. what i could do with the a850 until such times as it really was letting me down and the only reason i ended up changing was because 
low-light performance has come so far. And, the you know, the signal-to-noise ratio off the sensor has improved out of sight in those 10 years from, you know, 09 when I got my A850 to, you know, the end of 2019 when I bought my A7 III. You know, on the A850, I couldn't shoot beyond 3200 ISO. Now I can shoot at 25,000 ISO for the same level of noise, you know. It's a massive improvement. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Questions mm-hmm. without notice. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this, I, this is a new feature. This just sounds yeah. scary. Go ahead. <laughs> I've, in the past, I've looked into how do you calculate depth of field for any given shooting scenario. And it's a combination of a few different factors. You know, it's the distance from the lens to the subject it comes down to the focal length that you're shooting at Mm -hmm. you know and and there are you know some other things that come into play and it's not a simple calculation that you can just do in your head and go i'm shooting at this aperture at this focal length at this distance and therefore i can calculate that you know, the depth of field is going to be X. Right. And I was wondering if, you know, you've been shooting portraiture for a long time, and obviously mm-hmm. in portraiture, you know, how much or how little depth of field you end up with in the final image is right. critical to the, you know, the, the success of a, of a portrait. And I wondered, have you come up with any way that you can automatically think to yourself, okay, for this distance, for this focal length, I need an aperture of X in order to achieve a depth of field Y. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it something Um, that you've just, you know, you've got so much experience that you just kind of know? Well, the the short answer is, yeah, I've been taking pictures long enough. I actually don't put a tremendous amount of thought into that. It's actually somewhat instinctual. However, yeah. I, I do have I do have some thoughts, opinions, and suggestions. Hmm. Um, so first of all, full disclosure, I'm very proud of the fact that when I was in seventh grade, so you know I was like what fourteen years old, I yep. think, I won a state science fair award for a science project all about depth of field. So I consider myself to be somewhat of an expert (laughs) (laughs) from seventh grade. Anyway, um, so first of all, you know, the the big problem with with depth of field is that most photographers today, uh, and I'm going to be a little dismissive with this, so uh, hopefully it annoys some people because if it annoys them, it means I'm talking directly to them. (laughs) They... They either think of depth of field as how blurry is the background. That's the painful one. (laughs) You know, bokeh is not depth of field. Bokeh Mm. is something that you get when you're shooting with shallow depth of field. But bokeh is not depth of field. So it's not part of the definition of depth of field in any way, shape, or form. Um, Or uh, the slightly more advanced photographers, if you ask how many ways do you have to control depth of field? They will proudly pop their chest out and say three. Uh, That's what I was taught when I was a kid. That's what most books still teach today. Mm -hmm. And I argue that, no, there's actually four. Okay. Okay. 
So you you mentioned too aperture, right? Mm-hmm. So the wider the aperture, the shallower the depth of field. The smaller the aperture, the greater the depth of field. Yeah. Uh, focal distance, which is the other one you mentioned. So well, that's well, the I mentioned from your focal length as well as the distance. Okay, so you yeah. think it all three then, right? Yeah. So so uh, the focal distance, the the distance from um, the camera to the subject, the closer you are to the subject. The shallower depth of field, the greater the distance, the more depth of field. And then, of course, the last one is the focal length of the lens. Wider the lens, greater the depth of field. Longer the lens, the more shallow depth of field. But there's this other um, element of depth of field that actually allows us some additional control. So, first of all, just working with depth of field in general and working with those three things, it's all about relationships, it's literally, yes. it's a relationship thing. So like, I, I want to shoot this picture with a short telephoto lens, but I need a lot of depth of field, but I can, you know, only work at this distance or I can only work at this aperture. So it's all about finding the right combination to get as much depth of field as you want. And we're still, by the way, we're leaving math out of this equation because I suck at math. <laughs> so I have, I have never been one to be like doing calculations. Okay. Right. Um, but it's relationships. However, where the fourth option comes in for some control, and it has, this has gotten a little bit muddier in the mirrorless digital technology age, but it still works for the most part. Uh, we used to, when I was a kid, we were taught it as the second rule of thirds. And that's because back in the film days, the way that lenses and film were designed, generally the field that was in focus, okay, so the field from depth of field, in other mm-hmm. words, the, the distance in front of your subject and the distance behind your subject that would be in focus, generally speaking, This is what one, we refer to as the circle of confusion? Uh, kind of, right? Okay. One third of that field would be in front of the subject, yes. two-thirds of that field would be behind the subject, yep. right? So that actually is a piece of information that you can use as a control. A great example where, where I frequently actually would take advantage of that would be if I was photographing a group of people that were maybe three, four, five rows deep. And depending on my lens, my aperture, my distance, I may have to vary where I focus in that group yeah. to make sure that I'm getting the whole group in play. So there's actually kind of four things. Now, in the digital realm, before somebody decides to start typing and leaving that comment, in, in the digital realm, the way digital lenses are designed, it's not a solid one-third, two-thirds breakdown. Yeah. However, it does average out across most lenses and most cameras. It averages out to that. So you're just using that as a, as a rough guideline in your head. But here's the thing. The way that I, I would recommend anybody deal with it at this point is because things change, the world changes. I don't think you actually need to know in advance because with a mirrorless camera, all you got to do is pay attention. Mm-hmm. And as long as you understand what those controls do, in other words, okay, I can stop down my lens. I can go to a wider lens. I can back up. Yeah. Right? If you need more depth of field, it's simply a matter of adjusting one of those things until you see that everything is in focus. But they do, however, if you, and I get it for, for a lot of people, to be fair, a lot of people, that is not an acceptable answer because, <laughs> um, and, and I'm not trying to be mean towards anybody, but like, for instance, an engineer, you know, engineers are trained the idea that if they make a mistake, people die, right? So engineers yeah. need numbers. They need facts. So we do have apps 
that are available today yeah. that you can install on your phone. I mean, there's the PhotoPills app has a depth of field calculator. Uh, there's, what is it? Uh, I think it's called DOF Master yep. is another one. If you just Google depth of field calculator, you'll find, you know, several of these. Yep. And they're pretty doggone advanced, meaning, you know, they're, you're going to put in the camera that you're using. You're going to put in the lens that you're using. Uh, if it's a zoom lens, what focal length you're planning to shoot at. And from there, it's going to allow you to break it down and tell you exactly how much depth of field. And it will also give you how much of your um, space in front of the subject and how much behind right. is going to be in focus. So it will tell you where the field is. Yeah. Okay. So for somebody that really feels they need to have that degree of accuracy, mm-hmm. um, I would... I would recommend an app, but for me, it's, it's very visual and that's actually, it's kind of like exposure, uh, at this point, I'm a firm believer. It's really, really important that photographers understand the relationships between, um, you know, aperture and shutter speed and ISO since ISO isn't really a thing anymore. So, but it's important to understand those relationships, but yet what boggles my mind is and I have a mentoring group as an example, and I, I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular, but like <laughs> I'll go through groups of images that people will shoot, and the exposures vary dramatically through you know a series of images that are maybe taken at a picnic or at a wedding, and it's like, why? Yeah, we're we're shooting with cameras that are WYSIWYG, <laughs> so that that image that you have there that's underexposed by three stops. It was underexposed by three stops when you were looking at it, when you pressed the button. So why? Hmm. You know, and and that's not to say, sure, we all have misses from time to time for any number of reasons. And certainly I'm the first one. If there's something that's momentous that's about to happen and I haven't got my exposure dialed in, I'll shoot first and fix later. Yeah. You know, if if it's a matter of do I adjust the exposure and miss the picture or do I shoot and get it? Well, I'm going to shoot. And if it's underexposed, then it's underexposed. But, But overwhelmingly... You know, that shouldn't be the case when I, and I'm not bragging, but like I run around for an afternoon and I shoot my grandkids going in and out of the sun and the shade and in the house and everything else. When I download my images, my exposures are pretty much spot on. They're not all over the place, but that's because I'm, I'm paying attention to the information the camera's giving me. Yeah. Because I'm certainly not telling the kid, hey, wait, stand still. I got to get my exposure set up. And that's, (laughs) that's not happening with a six-year-old, right? A three-year-old. So... So, yeah, um, I think it's really just a matter of, of you got to shoot and, and you got to practice. Um, and for some photographers, it's a style choice. I don't know if you've ever spoken with a, a guy. He's, a, he's one of the Westcott pros, and he's not a Canon explorer of light, but he does a lot of work with Canon. He's um, based in New York here in the U.S. His name is Will Kadena. Right. Um, if if uh, if you ever want to talk to him or you ever have a chance to talk to him, we we should. He's a great guy. He's awesome. He he shoots weddings. He shoots events. He shoots portraits, models, all kind of stuff. And he shoots almost everything at like f eleven with wide angle lenses, even. Right. So so he's a guy like his entire style is built on everything in focus. Right. No, none of this bokeh crap for him, <laughs> and, it's, and it's great because. And here's the best part: he's a young guy. Right. Like, he's young. So, you know, you would think, man, he'd be out there with the 1.2s and 
spout, <laughs> spouting off that mantra, like, why would you buy a 1.2 and not shoot at 1.2, right? which I just love when I hear that. Oh, my God. It makes my head explode. But, um, yeah, I mean, he shoots everything, like F-11. And so he's, you know, he's kind of a throwback for as young as he is. He's, yeah. You know, he's out there where he's going to take a picture. He's got to pay attention to every little detail in that frame because he's going to make sure it's all in focus. So... No poles growing out of heads, you know, nothing. It, it's all got to be lined up right, yeah, right. which is, is actually serious skill. I mean, it's really serious skill to totally, do that. Totally. So that was a really long answer without actually giving you the answer, Bruce. So it, it seems so. like the, it's, it's a long way of saying no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that no, yeah. there, there is Something. no way of Something automatically like that. coming up okay, with now that. Okay, now I feel like I'm talking to Glenn here. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. Now, I do have one of those depth of field calculators on my phone, and uh-huh. I must confess, I don't think I've ever seriously used it. You know, I, I, I always get out there, and, you know, if I'm shooting landscape, I'm generally going to be shooting at about F11 or F13 anyway, because yep. I, I want, mm-hmm. you know, plenty of depth of field. And, yep. and, and when you're shooting portraiture, it's like, well, I'm not going to waste my time messing around with an app on my phone when I should be shooting. So I'll just mm-hmm. start shooting and dial it in as I go. But yep. yeah, and and I guess the, and that raises a point, something we didn't address was that a lot of those uh, apps will, and you, you mentioned that, you know, you will enter what camera you are shooting with and the right. pertinent information in that part of the uh, algorithm is the size of the sensor because that also plays a part yes. in the uh, the depth of field that's achieved for any given aperture, for any given focal length, for any given distance. Right. As well. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, mate, thank you for popping in. It's been great to have a chat. Yeah. And, always. Uh, always. Any Anytime the boss is away, I'm good. <laughs> especially, especially now that I got my own, like, you know, intro piece there absolutely i feel, absolutely. I, I feel much more yeah. important and you got so. your own artwork as well now now i don't have to put up with this crap that's so, right yeah that's like, it yeah we doubled your pay <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta be happy with that <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah still doesn't get me to starbucks that's yep. right <laughs> So are you back and shooting now or what's happening? I yeah, I'm easing in. Um so we are um you know, we're probably being overly optimistic as a country because honestly, uh people are pretty much like pretending like, you know, oh I'm vaccinated, everything's fine and it's over. <laughs> Um, and some states are even passing laws now, like you're not allowed, like Florida uh, idiots down there, you know, you're, you're not allowed to require people to show that they've had vaccinations or any kind of stuff like that. So, um, fortunately the numbers are still going down here and, you know, people, people are generally, you know, behaving as if it's all good. But the fact of the matter is, um, the amount of people getting vaccinated is slowing down. So yeah. I'm finally, finally easing back into it. I've actually got a couple shoots um, scheduled and coming up. I've been out even just for fun, like shooting, you know, like my grandson playing little league and that and around people. So it, it's nice to be getting kind of back to normal in that sense. Yep. Uh, it's really nice. Um, I have my first trips scheduled 
for the end of July, beginning of August, I've, I'll be doing back on the road for about a month. And, nice. uh, you know, I think realistically, even with that, um, I think what's going to happen in our industry is that some of the bigger events will come back. I think some of the smaller events will come back, but I think they're all going to come back with kind of a virtual element to it because one yeah. of the things they've learned is that they could actually expand their audience. Um, like I know I've already been uh, contacted about two events that are happening in the fall that are in-person events, right? but they've asked me if I would do them virtually. So they're uh -huh. adding a virtual element to the event because it would be very expensive for them to have me fly in and put me up in a hotel and do all that kind of stuff. So um, literally the way they're making these events bigger, which is really smart, they're using their local talent to do the hands-on in-person stuff. And then they're getting, you know, other folks from around the country um, and actually even around the world to, you know, do presentations online. Because finally, photographers are starting to get better at doing it online. I mean, let's face it, you know, <laughs> on, online presenting has nothing to do with taking a good picture. So no. for me, since that was a big part of my income, I jumped in right away and really wanted to learn how to do it well. So... Um, my presentations are not your usual screen sharing kind of stuff. In fact, I, I don't even, it always freaks people out at camera clubs because they're like, we're going to give you screen sharing. And it's like, no, you know what? I don't need to, I don't need to do screen sharing. They're like, well, how are we going to see your presentation? I'm like, don't worry, you'll see it. I'll show you. And then they're really like freaked out when my whole presentation starts coming across with the video and they can still see me and they can see the presentation and they're like, whoa. Yeah. But so, yeah, I, I went all in. Um, and I'm glad I did because, you know, now I'm in demand in, yep. in that sense, but, nice. but yeah, so we're getting there. Finally, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit like normal. My first actual shoot back with a, a team in the studio, um, is at the end of next week. So nice, excitedly, nice. you know, prepping and, and people think I, I, I just talk to sound cool sometimes, but like even, um, the last three days, I spent about an hour and a half each day in the studio with a mannequin. Um, right. Just, just putzing around with some lighting. Just practicing. And some of the ideas. Yeah, it's just, you know, for me, when I'm shooting, especially in a studio, even though it's in a studio where it's very controlled and I can take my time, I still don't want to, when I've got my, my model on set, I don't want to be thinking about my gear. I don't want to be fumbling with my gear. I at no point want to be like, wait, what's not set right? Or why isn't it doing what I'm doing? The, the gear has got to be an extension of my thought process. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, I'm putting in the practice time to get back up to speed and, you know, make sure that, that, you know, all of that muscle memory is there and, and everything else that that's really, really important to me. And even though, you know, the team I'm bringing in, it's people that know me, it's not for a client. It's, it is for me, you know, for, um, for stuff that I want to do. And even the, the model knows like, this is my first one back. I've worked with this girl many times before she wouldn't care, but it would drive me nuts if yes. I was fumbling with stuff. So yeah, it's all about yeah practice and get back up to speed. Glenn has just done his first camera club shoot, uh, you know, in uh, months and months and months and months and months, you know, probably well over uh -huh. 12 months. And, and he yep. said exactly the same thing. He said, God, he said, I need to get out in my backyard and practice. He said, cause I feel sure. really rusty because I haven't done yeah. it for so long. So yep. I can certainly appreciate yeah. you, you know, you're being in the same boat. So, yep, indeed. Well, mate, enjoy that shoot and we look forward to seeing the results of it. 
uh, if you're we'll do for able sure. and willing Absolutely. to share them online. Of course. So, uh, of course. Excellent, mate. Well, you take care. And we will. Uh, you got it, Bruce. You do the same. Stay safe down there. Hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, mate. Catch ya. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. You've been listening to Shutters Inc. For questions, comments, and feedback, email theboys at shuttersincpodcast.com. Thank <laughs> you.